Well, today we've got the one and only Garance. Uh, Garance, thanks so much for coming and taking the time. It's my pleasure. Let's start off as we as we do. Uh, refresh, uh, refresh your memories on what you were doing before you went to INSEAD briefly, and then walk us through what you've been up to for the last 20 years. Uh, ah, yes, that's a long time ago. I, have an, I think I have early onset Alzheimer's, so wait. Before INSEAD, my life, of course, didn't exist because it was all of you that made me come to life. So, but let me think about my faint memories. Um, before that, I was kind of in the, you know, the magic cauldron uh, of Obelix uh, that he fell into and that I fell into because I was working most of my since, let's say, were in multilaterals because my parents worked for the UN and so, you know, that's all I knew existed. Um, so when I graduated from wherever it was I was graduating from, I went to work for the European Commission and then the EBRD and did a bit of UN. And only after many years, at least three or four, did I start realizing that it was maybe a bit slow. I mean, I am blonde. I do do a bit of highlights, but I have a, a, a bit of blondness. So it took me a while to to figure that out. So... Then I just thought I want a bit more um, speed in what I'm doing. So I went to do strategy consulting in London. And I think I went to the other extreme too quickly because there, you know, A, I was making much more money. B, of course, it was honestly much quicker, but I didn't have any time to spend that money. I didn't have any time to do anything. Uh, so I thought I have to slow down. And why don't I go do an MBA to slow down and to kind of rethink whether I want to spend my life pitching on things I don't necessarily always believe in, um, and uh, and 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 my my where my dream sort of ladder climbing up the ladder job is to pitch even more, right? So uh, that's why I went to in Seattle. So I had lived, been lucky enough to live with my parents at the UN in many countries, and I did not want to do anything but stick around in Fontainebleau not go to Singapore, be there when it snowed, be there when it rained, but just not move my ass from that Chateau de Tamer or Taver and just kind of reconnect with, with your there. roots. Reconnect with your Absolutely. roots. Absolutely. So that's what I was doing before. Uh, so I had already started climbing out of the magic cauldron. Um, but I think that when I left, I uh, decided that I was going to keep one foot in in the sense that uh, I decided I wanted to stay close to everything, development or creation of social value. Um, and so I left INSEAD to join a startup. It wasn't really a startup. It was, a, it was a, an established company in the U.S. that uh, was a consultant company, like a philanth philanthropy consulting let's say, where lots of sort of McKinsey, uh, Bain, et cetera, consultants went to, because they had made enough money, so to speak, it was Michael Porter who set it up. And because in the US, it's very much, uh, very much not <laughs> a welfare state nation, but more a philanthropy driven, more private money driven nation. Uh, there's a, there are many foundations that need a bit of consulting. So it was set up there and they were setting up in Europe, in the only country where it made sense, which was Switzerland. And I think that, uh, so there was only one person, one employee who was actually an INSEAD. 
and so I went from going to Ikea to buy my chair and my desk to sort of really pitching maybe 20 clients before getting one. Uh, I didn't really enjoy Switzerland because I, I'm seasick. Wait, hold on, hold on. Let me, let, me, let me interrupt you a second. So you said it, it was you and one other person that were working at this company? Yes. Or there's one other INSEAD person there? There was one the many other, others. No, no, no. It was only the two of us. It just so happened oh, cool. that it was an INSEAD person. So it was really entrepreneurial. Yeah. Um, but Worldwide I, or just, just, just the European? No, no. It was just, well, actually, it was just for the Switzerland uh, outfit because okay. they had just set up. So I did not. So I think I didn't enjoy the person, uh, and I didn't enjoy the city. As I want to hear their side of the story, but but carry on. <laughs> yes, uh, and I, as you know, or maybe you remember, I'm very very seasick. So I, I didn't sail anyway. It was a family town. Uh, I decided to go back to Paris uh, because my parents were retiring. So, and, you know, my future husband was there. So we thought, why not be in the same city? And there, I really didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't want to do consulting anymore. So I wrote, I saw an ad in some newspaper about, uh, at the time it was called SRI, Socially Responsible Investing. So I wrote to AXA Investment Managers, which is uh, AXA, the AXA Insurance Group's asset management arm. I wrote to the CEO uh, and said, you know, I saw your ad. It seems that you're interested in impact fund, what's called today impact funds or socially responsible investing. So am I, blah, blah. And his assistant called me like a couple of days later and said the CEO wait, wait, would this, like this to- is great. This is great. This is I'm, I'm going to interrupt you throughout the course of this conversation. Please interrupt me. Uh, <laughs> no. So did you did you have any like warm lead into the CEO or you completely just just no. came out of the cold? I cold I cold wrote. Cold That's writing great. is more complicated than cold calling. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so I cold wrote, uh, and the assist his assistant literally called me two days later and said. He'd like to see you because you made him laugh. So, and I had written quite a serious letter. So I was like, "Ooh, God, if that was supposed to be funny, I have to be really careful about what I'm going to say to this guy. <laughs> uh, and I have to say, I prepared a lot, like day and night for a week because like he was seeing me a week later. And so I went to see him and he said, um, socially responsible investing is shit. And I was like, why don't you tell me what you really think, you know? Uh, and he's, so I was like, so why are you, you know, communicating on it, whatever? He's like, well, you know, communication, blah, blah. Uh, but he said, after a while, he said, why don't you become my kind of chief of staff? I'm looking for one. You seem kind of funky. Why don't you, why don't we work together? So, which I did for a few years. And then, uh, so it was still in asset management. They said, do you want to work on the brand? So I thought, um, well, it must be quite awful working on B2B branding because nobody cares. Uh, but I thought, hey, I've never done that before. Why not? And then I was so, so by- no, no, no social crap at all. No, no ERG No social stuff. crap. Just, I just know. Chief of, it was awful. Chief of, okay. All right. You, you sold your soul awful, for a couple of years. I sold my soul. I sold my mm-hmm. entire soul. And again, I fell in that trap of I was working night and day. Because when you work at the time, it was really, it's a bit less now, but still it's quite, it's quite a big asset manager. 
basically all you do all day is you produce slides on asset management, right? Uh, I tried at one point to really focus on everything linked to our pension fund clients because there it's once removed, but you can think, okay, you may, you, you, you contribute to the money growing for pensioners, right? So that has some form of... Hold on. Okay, hold on, hold on. One of the benefits of being an American is you're allowed to ask really dumb questions. What, no. what, 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 what does it mean when you say you're an asset manager? When you're an asset manager, you... So as an institution, you manage uh, in institutionals funds. You indirectly mm-hmm. manage individual or retail funds like the money you and I have, but you and I are not going to go to an asset manager and invest their money with that asset manager. You're going to go to your bank. You're going to go to whatever uh, retail agency there is, and you're going to buy a fund. And that fund, or you're going to buy an equity or whatever, if you're more savvy, you're going to know exactly what you want to buy, a bond or whatever it is. And then this money is managed by experts, by investing at experts. And those are asset managers. So, so the buy side. what kinds of organizations give their money to AXA to be managed? To AXA IM? Uh, so it's AXA investment managers. Uh, so pension funds. Okay. The big, the big boys. Uh, corporates. Big corporates. Yeah, okay. Uh, for, their, for their balance sheet and their, you know, and their pension funds also. But those are really the big clients. All the institutionals, uh, banks who don't have dedicated asset managers, will give also their money to be managed by 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 asset managers. So, but but this is an asset manager that is fully owned by AXA, the insurance. So, their biggest client is also their only shareholder. So, about sixty yeah. percent of AXIM's assets are AXA insurance. Assets because an insurer is an insurer, but he's very much an investor, right? Sitting on a bunch of money, yeah, yeah. Your and your boss at this time, he's the CEO or whatever his title is of. He's the on CEO top of the of, asset management side yes. or of the whole thing. No, he's the, the CEO of the asset side. of the asset okay. management of asset investment okay. managers. His name is Nicolas Moreau. Uh, so that's that. And then the asset group, so insurance company, called me and said, "Actually, we'd like you to head communications." To which I said, "Yeah, I've never done that. That sounds fun." And what year? What year are we talking about? Where, where are we in time? This was in two thousand twelve. Okay. Um. So I said, "Yeah, but I'm not going because I want to have a third child," and so fuck that. Uh. And they're like, "It was someone I knew who was head of communications and everything." He's like, "Yeah, but you should still think about it." Blah blah. By the time I went to sit down with him for coffee. I went by, I remember I was going to this uh, cafe, I went by a pharmacy, I brought my pregnancy test, I went to sit down, I said, two seconds, order a Coke, Diet Coke for me or a Coke Zero. It reminds me of uh, Chandler, uh, Matt Perry's uh, 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 Diet Coke uh, in the bath. And uh, so I went, I peed on my stick, I went back up and I was like, you see, I can't take your job because I'm pregnant. And he was like, so... You showed your work... This is so inappropriate and kind of gross. You you showed your, your work colleague the stick yes, that you peed on? of course I oh did. My Lord. Well, I didn't, yeah. you know, I didn't ask him to touch it or, or like to okay. lick it or anything. Yeah. I just showed it to him, you know? Whatever, you, you might, whatever you're into. Go, carry on. <laughs> and so I was like, see, I can't come and work for you. And he was like, well, you know, we're going to reach gender equality the day idiots like you uh, start thinking that's a problem. So he he recruited me there. I came into the job. I was like seven and a half months pregnant by the time I had interviewed with everyone. 
So I stayed two weeks, didn't understand a single thing about insurance, went on maternity leave, came back and did that for about four years, four or five years. And it was really fun. It was a bit of a bitch. And that's where INSEAD actually helped me a lot because, you know, in general, uh, people, I mean, let's say the financial services industry, especially Latin, the the Anglo-Saxons or the Anglophones have understood the value of communication. The Latins have understood it less. And so they see it as a cost center and of something that's kind of airhead type of thing. Uh, Now you're being racist. You're ticking every box here. This is great. Keep on going. And so it was complicated because when you're in insurance, the people who bring value are only the people who are like actuaries, you know, financiers, et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. being blonde, a woman and head of comms, external comms is like, they don't even like give you the time of day. They give you the time of day. They look at their watch. They don't necessarily give you the time of day, but they look at their watch. If you say you went to INSEAD, you see, that's where it started mm-hmm. helping a little bit. But how do you say you went to INSEAD in a conversation? Like you randomly say it, it's very complicated. Anyway, I had a lot of fun was quite awesome and then i heard in the you'll notice there again i sold my soul to some extent because again i wasn't working on anything socially related um and then i heard that they were thinking about the ceo was thinking maybe you know we should be looking into what he called at the time micro insurance and that is the beginning of my new adventure where i became i clearly was not cut out for entrepreneurship uh, and I had, you know, tested that in Geneva, uh, but I was cut out for intrapreneurship. And so I uh, created my business inside of AXA, which is called AXA Emerging Customers, which is what I still do now, which is an which, which was Which was nothing before you started. It did not, it did not exist. You, you, no, you, it didn't exist. You, wow. Uh, you but gave it was, birth to it, shall we say. I gave birth to my fourth child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's also a girl for, for girls. Uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, uh, it was quite scary to be honest. I remember sitting on at my desk with a, literally an envelope. It was literally the back of an envelope that I had found on my desk. And I was thinking, what if, what budget am I going to even ask for? Like 30,000, Well, let's, let's back up a little bit. I, I've never heard this term before. Uh, what the hell is microinsurance? Okay, so microinsurance, which is not what I do, but that's what they, they thought they wanted to do. Right. Uh, well, tell us what you do, what, what it is that you do. Don't, don't so, answer that question. Like, what, what it is okay. that you're building here? Where have you built? So what I, what I built is insurance. So what they asked me to do is they said, we need you to start where insurance stops. That's it. Uh, and we need you to start in the emerging world. So if you very quickly, if you, defi- if you divide the income pyramid in five, which the OECD, whatever World Bank does, and it goes from A, B, C, D, E, high net worth, mass affluence, mass market, uh, low income poverty, we were under the impression that the insurance industry penetrated until E, that it did not go below the poverty line, but that it was present in ABCDE, we started traveling and we realized that actually uh, the insurance industry, be it local, regional or global, um, focused on A and B, so high net worth and mass affluence, and actually only reached A. Uh, And so we thought we were initially going to target E, but we also realized that E, so below poverty, poverty, is actually 
quite a crowded space with NGOs, multilaterals, you know, nonprofits, uh, donors, what have you. It's actually quite crowded and government in the sense that they will tick the boxes of mandatory public schemes that they have can have access to because of their level of revenue. So we realize that this sort of missing middle, and if I'm asked to give a sort of one floor elevator pitch, I would say we're protecting those that are too poor to be rich and too rich to be poor. So oh, I like that. That's great. So it's people who are who represent approximately seventy percent of the of the population of the emerging market of emerging markets. They're banked or unbanked, working in the formal or informal economy. These are smallholder farmers, um, migrants, factory workers, um, uh, mom and pop retail network owners. You know. Uh, this is this is fascinating. This is fascinating. Uh, what are some examples of the kind of products you've you've brought into to them to to, to you know ensure? So them? we we cover all risks. Uh, I'll give you examples. Um, by definition, just to explain a bit further, they are not going to go and push the door of an insurance agent or broker. Right. Uh, at best, they don't know that that exists. At worst, they've already had an experience with insurance and it's not been good. So we decided we needed to go through existing, penetrated, scaled, trusted networks, mobile phone operators, um, e-commerce or e-wallet platforms, uh, cooperatives, microfinance institutions, back to the point of microinsurance, et cetera, et cetera. And so, for example, so we started quite classically. So when you say, when people think microinsurance, often they think credit life. So credit life means you take out a loan, but if you took out a loan for a mortgage for your house, you have insurance for that, right? And that insurance covers your risk of default. That's what credit life microinsurance is. So it's small entrepreneurs who are going to take out a small loan uh, with microfinance institutions. And that loan is going to be covered by a credit life insurance policy. That actually, in its classical term, which is why I decided not to call my business AXA microinsurance, but AXA emerging customers, is that the, the classical credit life product will bring a lot of value to the lending institution, much less value to the client, right? Yeah. Because it's just paying yeah, back. You're protecting risk. the bank's downside, right? You're not necessarily exactly. protecting it, yeah. So it'll pay back if you've taken out 100 and you die when you've, because insurance, we talk about these really fun stuff like dying, losing a leg, that kind of thing. Um, if you die and you have 30 left, then the insurance pays the 30, microinsurance. What we've put together is a product where if you die or we've added if you're invalid, temporarily, permanently, partially or totally, we will pay back the remind, remainder of the loan give three times the value of the loan to the family for them to see things mm. coming and allow them to use the money uh, to pay back the loan. But the rest of the money can be used for medication, hospitalization, transport to and from the hospital, compensation for business interruption and transport. So that's because yeah. what would otherwise the you know if if, if the say that the person who took the loan let's call it the father or the the uh, stereotypical uh, if 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 he died would then that the the burden of the loan fall back on the wife or the children in in most of these countries 
Yes, and they're absolutely. they're you know royally screwed. You know, wow, that's 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 yeah. So you're really adding some value to the to the, the, the yeah. The customer. And you know what's surprising is that it's uh, about eighty five percent of micro loans in the emerging world are is are take is taken out by women, because very often it's not the brain the main bread earner who is a factory worker, a taxi driver, so a gig worker, etc. So it will be her that completes the household income, but very often it becomes as much or if more, if not more, than the what's considered to be the main bread earner. So that's that. But the other thing we'll do is covering hospital nights. You know, the difficulty there is not the product. The difficulty is getting information. So as you can imagine, we're not going to ask questions like, do you, does your grandfather have diabetes? But that is beyond our wildest dreams. The best uh, best case scenario, we have the name of the person, uh, the, the phone number, the age, and the gender. Unless, of course, we go through a bank, in which case we have all the information the bank has. But if not, that's all we have. First point. Second point, we can't, we're not going to create exclusions, right? Because for every extra question we ask, we lose 20% of our target base. So we don't need more, we don't need more information than what I've just said. And there's, so it's, there's no underwriting, right? So the, the ob the objective is to reach such volumes that these very small premiums, so it's between fifty cents and four dollars a month. These very small premiums uh, are based on products with no exclusions, but that reach such a such a volume that that's okay, because my pitch to our board was, I'm going to be profitable. I'm not necessarily going to maximize profit. I'm going to be profitable and sustainable. And then you just leave me alone. And so now we, we cover about 14 million people. Uh, Which countries? Uh, in 13 emerging countries. So um, the Philippines, Thailand, Indonesia, China. Uh, no, actually not China uh, yet. Yes, China. Uh, Nigeria, Turkey, Morocco, Senegal. Um, Brazil, Colombia, Mexico. This is fantastic. And, and presumably some of these places sort of uh, overlap with some of the UN, you know, early, early stuff you, you did way back exactly. you know, when you were a child or a pre exactly. yeah, that's, that's a beautiful little circle. Exactly. So that's cool. But what's even cool. So that's really, honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's awesome because AXA has agreed to, well, has let itself transform and change its mindset. And I think that's what's really, the barriers to intrapreneurship as opposed to entrepreneurship are all internal. I had no, I have, I had people knocking at my door to, to, to get me to distribute uh, these types of products. It's internal because nothing, be it uh, the people we're serving, whom we don't know, uh, the yeah. products we're offering them that we haven't built. The IT and operations that don't correspond to these level of premiums or volumes, uh, any other process, none of it exists. So it means is, that is every the step of the blocker, way is the blocker. I'm sorry for interrupting you, but no. I'm just going to keep on doing that. No, is no, is the internal blocker due to the fact of how little data you have, and your actuaries are like, no, 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 we can't underwrite this crap, and you're like, no, 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 trust me, just it, it'll the law of large numbers will apply. No, because uh, actually, this is a population that is so representative of these populations because they represent 70% there, 
that mm-hmm. the morbidity and mortality tables, uh, public tables of the economic institutions are actually very relevant. We have more information on these people than we do for our traditional clients who are much more affluent. It's just that they don't, it's more that it's very complicated for an insurer uh, to understand or to pivot in a way that they no longer use exclusion to fight against anti-selection and fraud. Volume fights against anti-selection and fraud, but, but not, the ne- not the level of volume that we usually reach. Here again, I'm, I'm touching 14 million people, but I only have 250 million top line. Right. That's two, that's mm-hmm. two euros, right? 20 a year. Two euros a month, 24, 20 a year. So that's very little, right? But the volumes are such that there is, there is no anti-selection. The fraud, it's, you know, people actually don't fraud. I can't tell you the number of people who said to me, ah, but if you start uh, uh, covering poor people, they're going to fraud. First of all, you feel like killing yourself when you hear that. But second of all, it's just not true, right? They don't have time mm-hmm. <laughs> to fraud. And now this we're is, in Europe. Sorry, go ahead. This is fascinating. I could talk to you for another 25 minutes. Uh, <laughs> mostly due to the fact that we have a lot of people who work in the traditional financial industry and have very short attention spans. We're trying to keep these, these episodes uh, no, no, to about 20 I minutes. But I, 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 I feel terrible uh, uh, cutting you off. But, but uh, no, no, no. It was great incredible. talking to you. And I, I don't have time for the standard uh, rapid-fire questions that I, I normally ask. Um, but, uh, but, you know, maybe this, this subject matter perhaps deserves a, uh, a sequel at some point in the future, uh, to to go into about Europe and how we're doing the same thing here. Yes. That's, that sounds like a, 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 a topic to, uh, to, to hold the back burner. Grant, thank you so, so, so so much. Great great to talk to you. Great initiative. And it was great to see you. Bye-bye. Thank you.